Welcome to our podcast, Deconstruct. My name is Lauren. And I'm Adam. On this podcast, we want to help start or continue conversations about the beautiful and messy parts of life. Although we both had a conservative upbringing, we've since grown out of a lot of our traditional ways of thinking. We're learning to deconstruct the religious lenses we once saw the world through, breaking down topics like purity culture, racism, and the patriarchy, while demystifying things like feminism, equality, and love. Stepping away from our evangelical church background, all the while leaning into God and moving forward in our faith. We'd love to hear your story. You can find us on Instagram at deconstruct.pod. Now, on to the episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the podcast. Today, it's just me and Adam. That's it. Just the two of us. Today, we are going to be going through some of the questions that you guys had for us. Well, not even for us. You had them for Elizabeth Earnshaw, also known as Liz Listens. I know we're not the uh, trained professionals that she is, but we'll go ahead and try to answer them in our own way with our own experience of our own relationship. So yeah, in that episode, our last episode, if you got a chance to listen to it, we spoke about relationships and specifically relationships in the context of deconstructing and differing religious views and, you know, how to kind of tackle those sort of topics. So to go off of the questions that you guys sent in, we're going to start with, should your go-to person for deconstruction and spiritual discussions be your partner? What do you think? I don't think so. At least maybe not immediately. Because I think it's tough. I I feel like you'll run into roadblocks a lot more often if you're still questioning things and questioning even the legitimacy of questioning things Mm. with your partner right there. Because I think in relationships, there's, there's always a yearning for the things you know and rooting into things that are predictable and I don't know, I guess just predictable. And for questioning to start, I think you need more open space than that. Yeah. And, you know, in this episode, we might go into some of our background in the beginning of our relationship. And just as, um, you know, a quick reminder, a refresh of how we started our deconstruction process. It it wasn't both of us at a time. And I think it was me. I started kind of this unraveling, but it really began with like just researching a bunch. And no, I didn't talk to Adam about it. No. You know, I not until I had more something solid to stand on, even if the the thing that I was standing on was my was my um I guess the comfort in my questions. Yeah. You know, if that makes sense. Like sure. I was I was comfortable with what I didn't know and I was comfortable with what I did know or thought I knew or whatever. And I think there has to be a level of I I, I almost don't want to say certainty, but with a relationship, most of the time, whenever you're having a conversation, you know, in the beginning of your relationship that conversation may not look the same a year, two years, three years down the road because we're 
we're evolving human beings. Right. So, yeah, I don't I don't know if your go-to person should be at least in the beginning whenever it's the big stuff like, "Oh, I don't believe the Bible is inerrant." That's like that's like big stuff. Yeah, which, that's foundational. That's foundational. And uh, you know, eventually that did come up, but I don't think I was like just throwing those things out there willy-nilly right. <laughs> at the beginning. Now, I think you I think Adam is my go-to person when it comes to other more smaller topics. Yeah. Well, um, we've established trust. Sure. Yeah. We've kind of broken the ice when it comes to that. Yeah. Well, and the one of the biggest things too, and maybe I alluded this to this a little bit, but you don't want your partner's skepticism to be the thing that stops you. True. Because that's Very just going to lead to like bitterness and potential for holding them as the sole responsibility for why your evolution never started. Yeah. So I think, you know, in the question you said deconstruction and spiritual discussions. And I think, I think sometimes those can be two different things. Not always. I think a lot of the time it's the same. Um, Deconstruction is a very spiritual thing, but you know, like I said, I think maybe in the beginning get some sort of grasp so that you're not taking your partner on this like ride where you don't even know if that's where you're going to to land. Right. Well, and to to add a caveat to that too, spiritual discussion I think is super important to have with your partner. Oh, absolutely. So yeah. to to kind of jump off the second point of that, I, deconstruction I think is something that maybe needs to happen privately or with someone else that can be a guide for you. Um, or at least a sounding board that's going to be able to respect your your movement in your spiritual beliefs and practices. But spiritual conversations, I think, are foundational for a relationship yeah. because because it opens you up in a way. Like you're trusting your partner with something that literally has life and death consequences. Yeah. I mean, or, depending on what you believe. Right. Yeah. So, I mean... I think the beginning for me, I didn't really, I think Adam was the first person I talked to. However, I felt like I had all these people I was listening to on podcasts to talk to. Um, So I don't know. I did a lot of my own researching and just back and forth before I first came to him. We hear that a lot too, that a lot of people's circle, community, people that they're able to have conversations with, even if it's just hypothetical in their head, are podcasts, are books. It's it's shows and interviews and all of that kind of stuff that you're able to ask those hypothetical questions and wait for an answer. You're able to kind of line them up in your head and just seek them out, the answers one by one, and you're able to get yeah different different opinions from yeah. a lot of different people or even different opinions from the same person. Watch their trajectory. So right, I think I think podcasts, books, interviews videos, all of that stuff is very important to the beginning of your journey. Right. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed. So you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. The next question says, can you cultivate a thriving relationship while one deconstructs and the other doesn't? How do you feel about that? I, 
I think it, again, not everybody's deconstruction is going to look the same. Like I mentioned, I was the one who went through it, like a deconstruction, technically, I guess. I went through it first. And part of what I deconstructed was my theology that, you know, we we had to agree that we had to be this super equally yoked, right. exactly on the same page thing. That was one of the things I deconstructed, right? So like, because because of that, I did feel like we could have a relationship and a thriving relationship where I was more on one page and you were on another. You, however, might have felt a little differently because you hadn't quite gotten there in in your spiritual, yeah. you know. Well, faith. I think in that like week or so where we weren't really on the same page, I think was there was a lot of friction in our relationship. And not like there wasn't tension. That's why I guess I... We weren't fighting. No, I think there was friction though. I think there was there was a lot of miscommunication because we were both trying to relanguage and yeah. because she had realized that some of the words that I was still using as an evangelical Christian were triggering words for her in her spiritual journey and just in her life. And they did have a negative impact on her. And so she was having a hard time hearing the words that I was still saying now that she had moved past them. And I was having a hard time hearing the the words that she had chosen to be her new vernacular that were referencing things that she still believed but sounded very different to me. Yeah. So I think that was challenging. In that is so in that kind of capacity, I don't know because we didn't have an experience where we were both on our own journeys really. We For a long time, you mean? Right, for a long time. We we are on our own journeys, but they do run pretty parallel most of the time. Yeah. I mean, I, and the question was, can you cultivate a thriving relationship while one deconstructs and the other doesn't? I the way I took it was one that already exists. Right. Um I don't I don't really know if it would work well if you're not already in a relationship. At that point it's kind of like well, you know, maybe just I don't know. I mean, I'm not going to I'm not going to stand I'm not going to sit here and like tell yeah. you how if you can enter that relationship. You like you heard in the last episode if you listened, you're going to start dating when you start dating. If you fall in love, you fall in love. Like you just can't you can't help that. Yeah, like right. no matter what, like you can't you can't help that. So and also to to kind of call back to Elizabeth's episode. She also said, while you're deconstructing, you may be in a vulnerable place where you're already being basically excommunicated from a lot of your communities. Right. And there's a there's a higher possibility that you're willing to compromise who you are and mm-hmm. what you believe to be accepted. Yeah. You're going to want, there's a, there's, you might have a tendency to, to almost stunt a lot of the, the deconstruction and questioning in order to, I don't know, have structure in that yeah. potential relationship. I, bu- I believe she she called it a dishonest relationship contract. Yeah, something like that. And yeah, so anyway, I, I do think if you're already in a relationship, I do think you can cultivate a thriving relationship. Well, one deconstructs and the other doesn't. Um, I don't if know. it's long term? I don't, yeah, I was just going to say, I don't know. I, again, I I've don't know it. what you are deconstructing right. and what you're not. Right. Like, I don't know if you're deconstructing just purity culture or if you're deconstructing, like deconstruction isn't like an umbrella. No, it is an umbrella term. It doesn't mean evangelical and you're changing God's pronoun from he to she. Like, it's not always it's like. It's not all the things, but it's it can be. Yeah. 
So it just really depends, I think. Yeah, yeah, I agree. We've also seen, obviously, a lot of the relationships that one deconstructs and the other clings to what they know fall apart. Yeah. And so that's also a challenge. And I I think it's so I think it's so individual in that kind of space because like Lauren said, it depends on what you're deconstructing. It depends on what the beliefs of your partner were in the first place that they're holding on to. Mm-hmm. Because for me, in our relationship, I can say that had I not deconstructed, I would still be okay. Because mm-hmm. I was so open handed. I I held everything so loosely that I was I was kind of a yes man for whatever. Right. I was like, sure, yeah, that could be possible. Yeah, <laughs> I could believe that. Yeah, sure. I think X, Y, or Z people go to heaven. Sure. Uh, I just didn't want to claim anything, which as we've kind of discovered through our journey here was a privilege of mine being somebody that is heterosexual and and uh, binary <laughs> and cis and male and white and all of those things, like all yep. of the things that that privilege me or put me in a position of privilege I was taking advantage of by being just open-handed with everything feeling like feeling like I was being open and accepting but really what I was doing was giving myself the the image of being an ally without having to do any of the work just because you weren't yeah you weren't condemning anyone doesn't mean you were helping anyone right well and as we know now silence is violence. violence it is it mm-hmm. really is. I mean, because if you're willing to be silent through someone else's oppression because it doesn't affect you, that is a form of oppression. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. And so he like Adam said, like you you could have handled it. I could have However, handled it. However, I don't think I could have handled it. Had I started claiming things like I couldn't that ha- I was holding loosely prematurely while she was still in a space of hard-lined evangelical Christianity, I think it would have been quite a challenge. Oh, well, yeah. Yeah. But I, I just mean if I had even deconstructed and you ha- had never, that even would have been hard for me because I like having like a partner in my passion. Right. Hence the podcast. I mean, like, hence everything that we do. So a lot of the things that we do, like I... Look at my track record. I always love having someone <laughs> to lock arms with. You I mean, know? I was the rhythm section with you while we were doing. Music. Yeah, I, and before that, like I was doing, I was always doing something with someone. Like I enjoy the partnership of yeah. of life and careers. And, and you like, like that, that to be with the people that you're intimate with. Exactly. So, anyway, I mean, that's just like everybody's personality is different. But I don't know if I could have handled if you had not worked through or grabbed on or stood in solidarity, you know, on certain topics and things. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You could have handled it if you had not deconstructed, but I could not have. Right. You know, and that's just everybody's It's a lot different. of pressure. <laughs> <laughs> good thing I'm, good thing I'm where I'm at. <laughs> yeah. You never know. I mean, we can't make up what didn't happen. Okay, and the next question says, is it possible for two people to be in different stages of deconstruction and be together? So that's kind of like a follow-up question. It's our basically it's a very similar question. Yeah. The answer is yes. Yeah. You definitely sure. can. We're even Adam and I now, we are not going to be a hundred percent on the same page. Right. And there will always be a leader and there will always be a follower. Yeah. I mean, and not not maybe so cut and cut and dry, but there always will be somebody that's that's charging ahead first in in some capacity or another. So I don't think I don't think it's possible to both be on the same journey of deconstruction. So somebody will always be a little further ahead or a little further behind on their journey than the other. Yeah. 
for sure. Next question says, if the closest people in my life only hear my process as rebellion, how do I invite them in? That's a really good question. Yeah, that's hard. Because it's hashtag relatable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's like, uh, what's something I just read today on, um, behind every, behind every vegan is a disappointed grandma. It's, <laughs> what? It's the same, it's the same kind is of, that a uh, meme? Yeah, it was a meme. Uh, It's the same kind of idea, right? Like when you deconstruct something so foundational to your belief system and to familial systems, it's going to be challenging. And I guess I take this as familial because that's what my experience is. Our friends have pretty much embraced where we were at. I don't think anybody was confused or shocked by our transformation in our close friend circle. But our families, I think it is a little bit more challenging, um, at least to, to ask them to, to be a part of it with you or to accept you or embrace you. Um, because it's like you don't, it's such a, it's such a, you know, with your family, it's something where you've always been kind of secure, or at least for me, it was, it was a place where I had always been safe. Um, and not to say I'm not safe now, but for me to be safe, is to, for me to be malleable. And it's just something that I I don't want to give anybody false hope. Mm. And so I, I present as very malleable when I'm in safe spaces with people that I trust. And so I tend to try to share when they ask. But I, I, I think you can. I think you can still be embraced and and bring people into your circle and and have them as a part of your community without sharing that piece of you with them necessarily. Yeah, I think safety is um, for for both parties. Say it's just you and uh, your mother or your dad or your sister. You know, or maybe it's just your entire family as a whole. I mean, it can be difficult. The thing is, I think. Like I said, safety is important, but then also recognizing that, you know, your journey has been your, you didn't start where you are now and their lives aren't over either. So they've got a lot of life to live as well and things to learn. And so do you. Um, And I think the beginning of my deconstruction, just like any huge change in your life, you get very pumped up. And very excited. And I'm still very excited. I'm still very passionate. But I've learned to hold space better in the sense of I know when it comes to talking with my mother, especially, um, but but both my parents, I tend to use the verbiage as long as it doesn't um, it doesn't hurt me. I I tend to use the verbiage that they know. So, you know, the, the words like calling God, God instead of the divine, or, you know, I, I I don't use the pronoun he for God because there is a sense of hurt for me. So I tend to just say God over and over again in conversation with them, um, instead of using my ancestors or or something like that. Um, because I know that she's not going to hear anything that I say because one word is going to throw her off and that's not worth the walls that immediately go up. So, well, and I think, I think to that point, a part of this, like you said, when we were talking in the first place is 
you're trying to leave space for everybody. You're mm-hmm. not trying to you're not trying to define God and create a new box for God. Right. So using using the words and the verbiage that makes other people comfortable and feels like you're respecting their belief system mm-hmm. is always going to be the best approach. Yeah. As long as it's as long as it's not detrimental to your belief system or or dehumanizing another person. Yeah. Like like you don't you don't have to subscribe to their belief system around who knows what any anything that could be detrimental to another human or condemning or 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 feels like it di- or feels like it is destructive to your faith um you don't have to step into that space and into those conversations but i but i do think it is good to be respectful about other people's faith and their journeys as well because one of the things that you said when you were at the beginning of your deconstruction is like the person that you are now, you would have tried to save two years ago. Yeah. Right. Well, and the question isn't how do I handle it? It's how, you know, they're asking, how do I invite them in? And that's, that is just really tricky. Um, I think, again, it's using the verbiage that they're going to understand and they're going to be able to um, swallow like they're going to be able to uh hear what you're saying um and and invite them into um a lot of the ways that you are are growing and evolving in a positive way and not to just you know spin it all in a nice pretty package because believe me deconstruction does most of the time (laughs) it's not pretty it's not cute um and so i don't i i want to be careful to not advise you to abandon your true your truth um but i think when you're wanting to invite family members or people close to you in who do see this deconstruction process typically as or generally as rebellion i would say in that circumstance in this situation talk about the ways that you are finding finding a joy in life how you feel like you have uh, found a new sense of of passion or freedom when you are able to I don't know dress the way feels comfortable to you or yeah. you know if it's your mom or your dad or a family member they're go- going to want your happiness and so that's what they're going to want to hear when right. it comes to this whole process and again like please hear me that's no, I'm not advising that you n- like never face the hard parts of deconstruction because that's so very, very real. But in this specific instance and situation, yeah, if they see it as rebellion, I think sharing the light yeah. and sharing the positivity is what's going to work best. And finding your common ground. And I can speak from experience on that. Just this last visit with my family mm. was a lot of that, was a lot of sitting down and being being accepting of questions mm. finding mm-hmm. spaces where you can relate and yeah. and being clear about the things that you don't relate on because especially for my family the mystery and the not knowing is the hardest part for them mm. because it's just when they don't know what my direction is they i assume they assume that i don't know what my direction is either oh interesting which feels very ambiguous unended and like i'm just gonna end up floating out into the outer space of theology where 
you know, you, nothing really holds nothing down, holds, holds you right, down. And right. well, that makes sense though too with the way you were raised and the way you were. Yeah, you well, were I've very loose. Been the same. You were very like held everything loose. You didn't really have an answer. You didn't really. Yeah, I question everything, and not in and not in an intense way, but in in a self reflective way. Yeah, yeah. And, and so, so that it makes it makes sense that they would have concern that I'm just kind of floating off into this space of accepting every unknown, mm. saying everything is true and that anything you want to believe works. But which, you are so much more. I feel like you have. I mean, in my experience of you, you have so much more opinion than I've ever known you to have. Oh, yeah, for sure. Well, I mean, because before my my openness to like believe whatever you want included the dehumanization of others. Mm. It included intolerance. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, yeah, sure. Like, I'm sure there was something that you were raised in that, that created this in you. And mm-hmm. so, you know, you can live in that. Maybe just try to interact less often with people that you're intolerant of. Mm. But now... You're like, no. I feel like I have... <laughs> well, and like I said to you at the beginning of things, it was like, I... I think I believed the same things that you were believing and that you were coming to believe in your deconstruction. Mm. I just didn't claim them. And so right. this deconstruction to me has been more of a reconstruction. It's been a claiming. That kind of makes sense. It's been a claiming of things that yeah. I believe. You never spoke from stage. Like you didn't have, nobody expected you to have a formula or a black and white answer. No, no. I was only ever the person that people would come bounce questions off of because I'm really good at making <laughs> everything feel really ambiguous. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Well, that makes sense with your family and the way they kind of handled that. Um, yeah, so I spent I spent basically a long weekend with my family embracing their questions and having grace for... Not ignorance in a bad way, but ignorance in like an actual what they didn't know, what they didn't know, yeah, and what they needed to know because they needed to they needed to be able to put me on a map, you know, like uh, where is that in Bali where the main questions are like where did you come from, where are oh. you going, yeah, and like who and like who are you or what? There's like three primary questions that are asked in a space like that, and it's very religious for them to to know what your trajectory is, and I think mm. my family. I think humans are very much that way. And I think my family is very much that way. That makes a lot of sense. My family, they don't want to think about my trajectory, I don't think. Because I think if they were to think about their my trajectory, it would not make them feel very good. Yeah. And so with my, my thing is, and not to get too off the original question, which was how do you invite them in? Um, so that's that. How do you invite them in? But I think, of course, there's always boundaries. You there's There's points of your relationship with those people during deconstruction where like, you don't invite them in. And that was hard for me because I'm an open book. I share everything and like, you know, I share everything on social media. So for me to create boundaries with people I was closest to, meanwhile, I am sharing everything on social media was very hard and very awkward and weird. And I don't think I did it perfectly at all because it just was like, let me live <laughs> a little right. bit. Um, but I kind of had to set up boundaries, you know, the beginning of the podcast. Um, my mother basically had notes for me at a lot of the time she had things to say and it just, it would make me question my own experiences and my own um, stories. And I, I had to create a boundary with her and 
I basically told her not to listen to the podcast if if she's gonna right. have notes. Yeah. You know, I just I this was an area uh, this was a platform where I was going to bear all and yeah. and not not hold back. So inviting people in who think it's rebellion is important if it's important to you. Um, but I think boundaries are also super key. Yeah, but also I mean, and maybe this is a little evangelical Christian of me to say, but maybe if that's where the space you're coming from and that's the beliefs of your family, maybe point to them the places where Jesus was entirely a rebel. Yeah. And maybe that's maybe that's the point that clicks for them. Yeah. Is that the status quo hasn't worked for most anybody. Yeah. And it definitely didn't work for Jesus. And clearly it's not working for you. Yeah. And I think that worked for me, for my own psyche, because I needed something um, to be like, I'm okay, right? Like, I'm okay? And I was like, wait, no, I'm totally okay. Jesus literally broke laws. So <laughs> look at us over here. Still pointing to Jesus. We Gucci. Yeah. I know, right? <laughs> well, hey, you brought you brought him up. Uh, but yeah, I just I don't know. I feel if like everybody theology. I think people can de- deconstruct any theology or any faith practice that they're raised in. But. Yeah. Everybody's experience is going to be different for that. Okay. The next question says, How do you navigate conversations about church and parenting? Married with young kids. Well, hmm, we don't have young kids. Um, we don't. But I will say the beginning of our, the beginning of my deconstruction kind of came around. Um, there was I've spoken on it several times about how I kind of got to deconstructing. But one of the things I haven't really gone too far into was um, the conversation I had with Adam about how how we would raise kids. I imagined having kids and then I imagined if one of them told me they were gay. And a lot of things, a lot of conversations happened after that because I was like, well, I, and this was before I had deconstructed. I was, this is the very beginning. And so I was not yet an outspoken, like affirming ally. So I was like, well, of course I'd, I'd raise that pride flag. I would, you know, we'd, we'd parade, like, you know, we would do the whole thing. I was like, then why can't I do that now for somebody else's kid? Like what's stopping me? And I think like the idea of of having children, even ha- like the idea of it made me like pointed me so intensely on this trajectory. So I can, so kudos to you for, you know, being able to navigate this deconstruction during a time whenever you're, <laughs> you've got kids, like you've got little souls, little humans. Yeah. In your life. And you said you were, you know, married, right? Yeah. Married with young kids. So how do you navigate conversations and, and about church and parenting? Honestly, like that's so something that we've talked about a lot is that our kids hopefully won't be growing up in purity culture. They won't be growing up with evangelical Christianity that needs deconstructing. But everyone will have a basis from which they deconstruct. Yeah. And that that I think gives me solace and gives me pause at the same time because I know something that they grow up with from us will potentially be the thing that they need to deconstruct at some point in their life. And I hope they do. I hope I hope that their process is a constant evolution of their faith because I think the moment that it becomes challenging to think about 
kids and teaching kids about your theology is when you think you've found the answer and you stop. Because I don't think deconstruction is a landing zone. Like there's there's no like, okay, I have deconstructed. All of the pieces are apart and I know what everything is. That's how you become a conspiracy theorist. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> and you true. never return. And or create a new uh, denomination of Christianity, which how many are there? Uh, well, I feel like that happens sometimes in Reconstruction. Right. And so that's, I. so I guess to me, allowing them to be in the process with you and showing the vulnerability of your unknowingness would feel like the most comfortable way to do it for me. Yeah. I mean, and offer the stories. Uh, we just said this on another interview we were on. Um, you know, perhaps instead of the creation story found in the Bible, I will teach my kids the Ojibwe creation story and, you know, offer that or or both or several. Um, but let's just say I offer the Ojibwe creation story. And that's, you know, what I like to tell them whenever they're little kids. Well, one day, yeah, they're they're probably going to go through deconstruction too. And I hope they do. And like Adam said, we hope they would um, because <laughs> like we've said before, it's not really a matter of if you screw up your kids somehow, it's, it's, ha- it's how yeah. <laughs> um, it's just inevitable. Um, all, we all need therapy for, for some reason or another about our childhood. So you just can't, you can't help that. Um, so I think going into that, like going into parenting <laughs> with that in mind, kind of, keeps things less like keeps a little bit of of the pressure off. But you know, when you're navigating the conversations about church, you know, some there's a church here in Nashville. That's really, there's a a few now. um, I think a few, (laughs) there's a very, very small handful of churches uh, around here that are, you know, progressive churches that are affirming that are, um, Again, progressive is is different than just affirming, but it kind of moves beyond, you know, understanding the Bible in a different way. And that is offered in some cities, like that it's growing. The progressive Christian faith is growing. Um, However, like, I don't think, in my personal opinion, I don't think church is necessary for your faith or to be a Christian or to be however you want to identify anything external outside of just you being with you and your interpretation of God, everything else is an aid. It's not a necessity. Um, And I I think if it, if it suits you and your children and your partner, then yeah, find a church. But if it doesn't, if it, if it doesn't aid you, if it doesn't benefit you and your relationship with the divine, or with yourself, or with your family, it's really just not necessary. Um, yeah. So yeah, I mean, that's just that's just my opinion on it. And how you would navigate the conversation with your partner, I don't, I don't know. I mean, hopefully, again, this is just assuming that the conversation is just a flowing back and forth about several different topics like this with your partner. Well, and hopefully, church is. The, the goal, right, is that church isn't the only place that they see spirituality and theology, theological conversations play out. Yeah. Which I think was, I think was the excuse for a lot of our generation being brought up was you went to church so that 
you realize the presence of God mm. and the importance of your theology to your community and all of that kind of stuff. And so hopefully, at least with us, we have so much more conversation about our spirituality and yeah. so much more space that we're holding for yeah. interpretation and and it opens us up to uh, a lot more conversations with people with different belief systems than us. True. And yeah. I think I think you can establish a basis cuz the primary thing that I hear about that is important to have with kids is structure, right? Like mm-hmm. especially surrounding something like that and and I think you can provide structure without having to be inside of a structure. Mm-hmm. Like True. you can be the structure. Conversation can be the structure that yep. they know. And that can invite conversation with other people with different belief systems that can expand them beyond just a binary of you're going to heaven or you're not. Right. Yeah, exactly. Good question. Um, also, we don't have kids, so who knows? Also, we don't know what the <laughs> hell we're talking about. <laughs> when we got married, our lives completely shifted and our understanding of the world changed. So I can only imagine how much that will happen once we have kids. Yeah, for sure. Hey everyone. Want to take a quick moment to say thank you for listening. If you like what you're hearing, please share this episode and rate and review the podcast as it helps others find this online community. Thanks so much. Now back to the episode. All right, diving into how to handle sexual ethic deconstruction. Wait, hold on. How to handle sexual ethic deconstruction changes while in a relationship. That's how you say it. So how do you handle that? Well, I feel like we cheated the system. What do you mean? Like we (laughs) both, neither one of us had intercourse before we were married. And by the time we were deconstructing we were married and so in a way we were able to skirt around this whole thing without ever having to address the actual like but I think that's the question that's the question I know specifically this person is like in a relationship actually Um, I've had conversations with them it says how to handle sexual ethic deconstruction changes while in a relationship. No, I know. I just mean specifically we were already married. So like theologically by evangelical Christian standards, we were okay to do whatever we wanted sexually. Sure. It does make it it does make it more like So now less that now that pressure. we're like we've got all the rule uh, all the rules are gone. <laughs> now that we now, did it right. <laughs> right. Now we can ask all the questions Quote, and unquote. say right, right. Like this is right and this is wrong. I don't know. That that in and of itself, in our case, feels a little bit like we cheated the system. However, however, we did have things to to discuss. I mean, even when talking about porn, I mean, that was a big one. That wasn't something that we were either of us were comfortable with it, ever. Right. Until like very re- recently, where you know we had to, um, we started really diving into what ethical porn is and what, I don't know, just sexuality is so nuanced and there are so many different, um, there's so many different conversations within sexuality and dealing with the ethics of sexuality um, that 
we've been on this ride for the whole time we've been married, the whole time we've been deconstructing. So it it has been not just a one like flip over like, oh, you agree, you agree, you disagree, you disagree. It's been like a continual conversation. Yeah. Well, I want to maybe maybe the best way that we could do this would be to root back to one of the primary reasons that we started into this conversation was we did have a lot of mental hurdles to get past when we started having a course after we were married mm-hmm. and breaking down a lot of the pain and a lot of the trauma behind purity culture and what is sex and right. that switch that you're obligated to have, right? Where you go from this pure white virgin to this sex goddess that is just ready for anything and everything. And it's just, you know, doing whatever. Mm-hmm. And, you know, from there, it's just, that that conversation I think needs to happen for the openness of a sexual relationship or or an intimate relationship of any kind mm-hmm. because you have to decommodify your sexuality before you can really work past some of that trauma and open things up within your relationship. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, just to be super clear, we had intercourse and I didn't like it and it wasn't nice. And, you know, the beginning was really difficult. And so then we did a lot of other things that we did technically before we got married. So then I was like, well, I'm considering this now. I'm considering this, all the stuff that we're doing, sex. You know, everything that's not intercourse that involves genitalia (laughs) i'm i'm now considering this sex so why is it sex now and it wasn't sex why did i not deem this sex before right then that you know that opened up the conversations of like well what is sex what you know anyway that goes down the hole well yeah then you start getting into the disqualification of non-heterosexual relationships exactly and i mean yeah yeah. So it, I mean, the conversation is, is continual. Um, just as we're all evolving in our spirituality, I think, um, our sexuality is consistently evolving too. And, you know, people exploring together or on your own. And I think the, how do you navigate changes in sexual ethic? A lot of conversation. A lot, a lot of vulnerability. Of yeah, a lot of vulnerability. Um, I would say, listen to Brene Brown when it comes to vulnerability, and <laughs> then yeah, when when you think you're vulnerable, go even more, like yeah. more than you think you can go as far as vulnerability goes. Um, and expressing desires, expressing pain, expressing yeah, I think communication is just really the only thing you can you can do and if somebody doesn't agree with you right like if your partner doesn't see eye to eye with you and you know you're you're changing so say uh you are supporting ethical porn but your partner hates it and still hates porn thinks it's all bad no matter where it comes from or what it is or whatever that can be very difficult and I don't think I, I have the right answer for that. I don't think we are the, would be the spokespeople for that sort of conversation. But I think having patience for your partner, because you know, when you started in a relationship with them, you probably knew where they stood, right? So I don't know. 
having patience and working through things together and offering, well, is there something that you would like to try? Or maybe we can do this together or inviting them in. I think that kind of goes back to inviting them yeah. um, and back to that inviting question. Well, and I think I think on top of that, establishing boundaries is healthy. It is not it is not putting up walls. Putting up walls and creating boundaries are not the same. No. And I think that needs to be very clear in your sexual Everybody's got boundaries. Because I think one of the primary things that you need to do is mm-hmm. as you're growing and reassessing and establishing what you believe about sexual morality is you need to still be holding space yeah, for other people to have different opinions. Yeah. And if your partner happens to be one of those people that doesn't agree with the things that you're coming into in your belief system, I think holding space for them is important. But then also in those places, in your relationship, maybe you need to create boundaries around your conversations and that. Yeah. Maybe. But then also about your practices, your sexual practices revolving around those spaces. Right. So maybe they maybe you think ethical pornography could be something that would benefit your sexual relationship, but your partner still thinks that it's bad and that there's nothing good about it and, and it, it's a challenge for the thing. Well then you don't want you don't want to press so hard into something that they feel uncomfortable with. Yeah. That they feel like it's an obligation for them to get with it or get out. There is so there there is so much again I'm going to go back to the word aid. There's so many things to aid your sexuality and sexual practices, I think, as as you said, Adam, um, that I, I think being vulnerable enough to explore the options, you know, whether it's reading books together or whatever. I mean, there's just like so much. Again, this is sure. not what this podcast is about, but... Not necessarily. I mean, sometimes it is about sex. Sometimes, <laughs> sometimes we're all about sex. Everything needs a little deconstruction now. <laughs> exactly. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I think, like Adam said, vulnerability, holding space, and exploring together. Yeah. Okay, so the next question is... It just says, perspective on how to navigate newfound independence within the boundaries of marriage. Good question too. Yeah. It's I mean, depending <laughs> on who you are and where you started. Yeah. For for us, we started in very opposite gender role positions. And so we kind of already were felt free. Felt very independent and free in our ability to express yeah. ourselves and our individuality within our relationship. My password is still to my to my phone, it's still three seven three three. So anyone get on my phone, and it spells free. <laughs> it spells free, and that's because I changed it from it was. So it, this is really terrible, but this is this is the truth, you guys. You're getting a little You're inside getting scoop. All the truth, all the time. So yeah, so it was it was my wedding date with my ex. Like we were engaged. Again, if you're if you're newer to the podcast, I was engaged once before, and it was our our future upcoming wedding date. <laughs> and then I ended up breaking it off with him. And I she's <laughs> saying her old password was her upcoming wedding yes. date, not three seven three three. Right, it was not their wedding date. Yeah, no, before. And then Adam and I started dating, and I changed it to free 
but not because I was free from the other person, but I felt I felt free. Like yeah. I had never felt a sense of freedom with someone more more than like ever before. You know what I mean? Like it was just I don't know. So finding independence within your relationship, that was like that was what our relationship was. Yeah. And to, uh, I, maybe to get a little deeper into our relationship and some discoveries that we made along the way was one of the hardest ones for me to get past was something that took me a long time to understand and Lauren had to bring to my attention for me to even begin processing it was the feeling that as long as you, I was always told as long as you take care of the other person the, and the other person takes care of you, you will both be well cared for which I think is true in a way. But at the same time, they fell in love with somebody who took care of themselves. They fell in love with an individual. They fell in love with someone who was independent. And for a long time through the beginning of our relationship and our marriage, I lived out that idea that my life needed to be absolutely devoted to Lauren's well-being, happiness, and everything in between. Um, and that became something that was really challenging for us. And it was something that was challenging for her because once you get to that level. It's not freeing. It's not freeing. It's very, it's Because I very, had to be, in order for him to f- feel fulfilled and like he was doing a good job at, at being my husband. I was obligating I had to her. be happy yeah. at all times. I was obligating her to happiness for me to feel fulfilled and for to feel like our relationship was working out. And then on top of that, she is working on herself and she is still living in a space where she's maintaining herself and maintaining our relationship, but not doing, not, not, not completely, uh, uh, abandoning, abandoning herself for me to take care of me while I take care of her and we both just fall apart together. Like nobody knows you like you. So that would build that in moments that would build spite in me. You know, there were there were moments where I became spiteful because I was like, well, I'm taking care of you and you're taking care of you. So who's taking care of me? <laughs> I was also taking care of you, just not you as much. No, for sure. Absolutely. Not to say like you were like a bad like, partner. <laughs> but but when you get in that sort of mindset where you go from two independent people into two people that have become one and now your entire job of your whole life is to make sure the other person is happy, you end up abandoning yourself. And I think that was a pivotal point in our relationship when she said, I need you to stop caring so much about my happiness because I'm feeling obligated to be happy all the time. And it makes happiness not that fulfilling. (laughs) And, and And in that moment, I realized that I wasn't taking care of myself that I wasn't giving her somebody to love. And at the same time, I was, I was taking the thing, the freedom and the happiness that was the basis and foundation of our relationship and turning it into something that in a way was being monetized. Mm. It it was, it was, I was feeling fulfilled from it. And so it was the thing that was making me feel satisfaction in our relationship. It was the thing that I could put a metric to, to say our relationship is working. Yeah. And anyhow, right. I had to move past that and, and realize that selflessness isn't the closest to holiness. (laughs) That's interesting. 
Uh, I always say martyrdom is not closest to holiness and selflessness is not closest to holiness. That's interesting. Yeah. That, I mean, that would be your. Aren't those both the same anyway? Yeah. Well, to me, yeah. It's just a different word for it. Kind of. I mean, martyrdom was like, for me, was like, if things were hard. Sure. Like, if I'm like, oh, I need to be in a relationship that's hard. That's like my, that's my burden to bear. Like that sort of thing. Yeah. I'm like, oh, well, it's difficult. Like, I was kind of taught the theology of like, if you have two options, which one's harder? That's the one you should go with. Right. And I was taught that was like God's. God's uh, chosen answer, whatever the yeah, path for you, because you had to trust this God more. Um, and so, yeah, that's what martyrdom meant to me. But selflessness, yeah, closest to holiness. That's an so interesting. All of that, all of that to say, I think independence in a relationship will really expose the places where you are trying to quantify the value that you bring to a relationship mm. in order to feel fulfilled. So I think I think seeking independence is great, but I think it's going to take a lot of hard conversations because that was a very challenging thing for me. Yeah. Everybody in my whole life always told me that one of my best qualities was my ability to love well. And, and to, you do. And I and I do. And I that's something I'm very proud of, but but to make that my like that was my definition of being a good partner in a relationship and it was just too shallow and it was mm. too self-serving even though it seemed selfless. Mm. It's very two thing. It's very two. There's a Enneagram two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a there's a saying that I, I don't know where it comes from exactly, but say, saying that um it's very it's very one of the most selfish things you can do is be selfless because all it is is an, an avoidance of of, self? of conflict. Uh, oh, of conflict. And I think that's super true. Yeah. Because then you just internalize and become spiteful. And anyhow. <laughs> yeah, that was all. That's, no, that's, notes on independence <laughs> from somebody who's very, has not a hard codependent, time. but but very reliant on codependency in relationships. Yeah. That's very interesting. I'm glad, I'm glad we went there, though. It's very interesting for me to hear that sort of thing from you. Because again, I feel like you you dug some things up about yourself. I feel like I do that all the time on the yeah. podcast. I'm like, oh, I just <laughs> discovered something about myself. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, okay. So, I mean, the question was how to navigate it. And basically you said, it's just going to take a lot of work. It's going to be a lot of hard conversations. Yeah. But I, I have seen myself grow in really cool ways that I've appreciated about myself. And I know... I know there's some certain things that even Lauren has had a hard time with recently that have been a part of my independence and growth that didn't look like what she expected, um, but were very necessary for me. And because we were able to have those conversations before now, I think it saved us a lot of heartache and a lot of hurt in conversations had that all come up at once. Yeah. Yeah. True. Very good. Very good. Okay, so the next question says, how to communicate deconstruction slash fluctuating beliefs when dating in the Bible Belt? Oh, that's interesting. I will say I... Yeah, I, this is one for you because I haven't dated in the Bible Belt, except you. True. <laughs> I mean, I haven't dated, but, period, but... But even deeper than that, I've not dated while deconstructing. Like, I haven't, like, gone on dates interesting. with you know, yeah. new people while deconstructing, right? I mean, neither of us have. Um, I mean, you know. So how to, how to commu- communicate those those beliefs, the the ones that are falling apart and coming together 
when you're dating in the Bible Belt. That's that that's very um, I could see that being very tricky. And then that goes back to, you know, one of the earlier questions, the earlier things we talked about. Can you cultivate a relationship when one person deconstructs and the other one doesn't? Um, I will say I, I think I think social media is rocking. Like I love social media. You guys, like if you follow me on Instagram, like I'm always, I'm always there. Um, but more than just Instagram on Facebook, there's so many groups and you know, I don't, I don't know where, you know, this person who asked the question, I don't know where you're currently living and it could be in the middle of nowhere. But I believe that even up to like an hour out from where you are, if you're truly in the middle of like nowhere, for the most part, and maybe it's maybe it's not even location. Maybe it's just on Facebook where you like you look up. I don't know. I can't even think of anything like uh, affirming affirming Christian group or progressive Christians online or like just like kind of type in. This is the kind of thing Christian that I, mingle and then just put. I don't know what I believe about God in your bio. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what the f I'm talking about, but yeah. So I don't know. I feel like typing in those like search those in in like Google or in Facebook or hashtagging, you know, looking up the hashtags like um, progressive Christian in wherever, wherever you're yeah. in, in Missouri or something like that. I, I feel like there's so many more people who are in the same place physically, but also spiritually as you more than you, more than you could ever think. Oh yeah. And I, so I think, there's a lot of people that believe more similarly than you would yeah. imagine that are just not willing to socially claim their beliefs. Right. And I keep, and I apologize for keeping, I keep saying progressive Christian. However, I do recognize, again, I do recognize the, the, the questioner, the person who's sitting in the question. And I know that's what they kind of fall under. That's more their belief system, but whatever it is that you believe, whatever, you know, um, religious affiliation that you are finding yourself in. And yeah, you can, like I said, social media is just awesome. Facebook hashtags on, on, on Instagram, Twitter, there's all kinds of groups. And I think you can meet people there and hopefully after COVID you can meet up with people and just be like, Hey, well, you, to give you, you like, want a date? Let's go on a date. <laughs> what do you think about the Bible? Uh, just to give you like one super direct option is I know um, who are the people that we listened to? The liturgists. Uh, the liturgists. They yeah. have meetup groups in different cities mm-hmm. all over the place. And yeah. I think that's, that's the springboard for a lot of people's deconstruction. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe not everybody, but I think it's an option. And so, yeah, I think their website maybe has a resource that you can go to that you would be able to check and see if you have a local group around you. And again, I mean, because of COVID, I feel like dating right now is basically like impossible. But I think, yeah, those sort of things would be helpful. Yeah. So, yeah, I think putting yourself in spaces where you would find people who are like-minded. If you're just like looking for, if you're a deconstructing Christian, if you're looking for a Christian to date, it's just going to, it just might be hard. Yeah. But finding somebody else that's deconstructing their mm-hmm. theology. Right. And finding a more, well, maybe finding a more universal space from either end, I think right. is also a viable option. Right. Absolutely. And recognizing that you don't have to agree with. We had a whole podcast about that. Your, yeah, we did. Um, which you should, you should check it out. I think it's like something titled something interfaith. 
Something about unequally inter- yoked. Is inter- that what it was? Yeah, something about interfaith relationships. It's a really good podcast. Yeah. So anyway, I mean that not to go too far into that, but that would be my advice. Hook up with people that you, you know, can can find through social media. Um, okay. So last question. It says, can you have the same core b- values slash beliefs and express them in different ways? Church, no church. That kind of like example. Well, I mean, definitely. Yes. I guess this is a space that I'm in. Um, yeah, I mean, I would say yes. I, I think I think even in just an evangelical Christian space that I grew up in, there was a lot of different expressions of how you practice your faith and your religion. Some some people hoot and holler and some people just stay silent in their seat. That's true. But then also like there's churchgoers and then there's people that like to watch church from home or there's people that like to do their own Bible study with their family or there's people that pray at every meal and there's some people that pray every morning or there's some people that... Who don't do any of that. ...pray silently or don't pray. Um, I'm talking specifically with what I knew growing up in evangelical Christian spaces. But um, I know that... Every person you ask is going to have a nuance to the expression of their religion um, and their belief in spirituality. No matter how aligned. No matter how aligned they are. So the the answer is definitely yes. Definitely yes. <laughs> Back to the original answer for yeah. sure. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> and we still don't know what we're talking about. So, you know, take all of this lightheartedly and hopefully you enjoyed our conversation. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like we said, it's just, we're, we're, we're speaking from our experiences and I, I do happen to love our relationship. (laughs) I do. I do happen to think that, you know, we, we've gone through a lot together individually and together. And, um, I don't think we have the end all be all, comments or statements but if any of this you know resonated with you like I'm I'm happy I'm happy that that yeah. it did and yeah so I think this is I think this is how we're gonna end the episode today but sounds about right to me feels good yeah we hope you guys are doing okay with COVID and all hope you guys are hanging in there and we're hoping to do more conversation styles like this as in the podcast coming up I think we're we're gonna maybe stick to more of this question and answer format for a little while. So keep looking forward to some more like this. Thanks for listening, guys. Until next time. Bye. Bye.